0: Everyone, David here. Time for another episode of the Dark Spidercast, and what a rollercoaster it's kind of been for the past uh, week or so. I know, I, I feel like maybe I've been saying that still a tad bit much, but shit is getting crazy with work. Uh, it's getting swollen as far as just, you know, work ethic, as far as assignments, as far as things that need to be done. So, this episode could be a little bit on the... I don't want to say rush side, but just more so on the, like, okay, you know, no bullshit, no extra fluff, no things to just kind of dance around. We got some topics, we got some breaking, slightly breaking news, but probably by the time that you listen to this, it's not necessarily going to be all that much breaking. And then there's some that, even though they happened almost damn near a week ago, they're still very topical and they're still kind of flexing back and forth on the mind that I'm like, yes, I I need to be able to talk about this. And so, we're going to get to those topics, as well as a brand new game that has been started. Uh, part of the, That's not necessarily part of the backlog, but it is one of the games that I was eyeing for 2022, and I finally managed to start it. Before we get to that, though, of course, this is David, uh, also known as Dark Spider David, also known as YouTube Partner Dark Spider David. Yes, one of the... Big roller coaster events, and thankfully, a high not necessarily a low, uh, even though the week has has had its fair share of lows, but one of the d- very seminal highs of this week that uh, made me feel elated for quite a while. And technically, still am. I'm not saying that you know it's been lost or anything like that, but uh, now it's just time to focus and keep focusing on the content, and keep focusing on the material that really matters here, which is the, the content, the videos themselves. But, your boy. Has officially become a YouTube partner. The Dark Spider David niche channel, which is focused solely on Spider-Man and Batman content, has been monetized and partnered. uh it, it's it's just it's crazy when I saw that email. Like I said, I was just trying not to uh, not to just kind of pussy out and start uh, uh, crying. I, I sent that to my friends. I sent that to my girlfriend and be like, hey. It's finally happened. I mean, here it is. Here's uh you know what I've been kind of working towards. And it's funny because yes, the the channel, this specific channel, the niche channel, the Dark Spider David V2 Batman Spider-Man channel. is technically in its infancy. It's just a little over 6 months old. Um and it did get a very blessed boost as far as getting uh, the this bump up in subscribers counts in watch time the necessary things that were required to hit those two markers which of course are the hardest uh things to acquire which is the 4,000 hours of watch time and the 1,000 subscribers between the two it was looking like the 1,000 subscribers was going to be the hardest part which is ironic because when I started the channel I thought that the 4,000 hours of watch time was going to be the hardest part it actually ended up Swapping the other way, especially when certain videos took off, like the Arkham Knight McFarlane versus DC Collectible uh, figure review or comparison video, as well as most recently the Flashpoint Batman video that just took off because of the controversial nature behind the figure itself and has crossed like the 170,000 view mark and it's probably going to be hitting 200,000 I'm not gonna say anytime soon but probably within the next week or so so we'll, well I'll keep prospects on that I'll keep a tab on that but with those two videos in mind along of course with the rest of the content up on the channel I was like all right watch time I got but the subscribers are they really gonna come through and thankfully working kind of hand in hand with those views that those two videos were pulling in along with all the other content that was being supplied twice a week we crossed 1,000 subscribers, and then this past Friday, during me and the girlfriend's uh, trip out of town, which I did f- uh, foreshadow or mention on last week's episode, uh, that Friday morning, I woke up, and I, I had an inkling that I was going to hit it because I went to bed at like 9.91, 9.92, something like that. Either 9.91, 92 maybe ninety three, or something like that. And I was just thinking to myself that right now, on average, I was earning, you know, whenever I go to bed and I wake up in the morning, I there was usually like a 10, maybe 15 subscriber, maybe just a little under that or a little over that, somewhere around that ballpark bump in terms of like what I would get overnight. And also keep in mind that on my days off, which that Friday was going to be off, I was going to be off. I woke up a little later and we also have the uh, East Coast to kind of account for. So I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm probably going to hit it in the morning. And sure enough, I wake up, and there it is, 1,000 subscribers. And then when I scroll to the monetization tab, uh, there's that apply now button. So Friday, I applied to the partnership. And there's a little quirky story here. And I don't know if I'm going to take the snippet and post it on YouTube as this kind of like thing on the miscellaneous channel just for other people that might probably because if I came across this other people probably might that are looking to monetize in their channel and becoming a YouTube partner so if you guys find this on YouTube hi and welcome to the miscellaneous channel this is not my official channel anymore I post very scaringly here as far as content that is just kind of all over the place but if you guys want to look at my focus channel which is the one that I upload every single week twice a week uh, then please check out the link in the description or as a top-pinned comment. That's the what I like to call the niche channel, which is centered on just Spider-Man and Batman content specifically. Anyways, with that out of the way, here's a little quirky story of how I applied for partnership and what exactly happened that I couldn't really find any other resources for. But basically, after hitting the thousand mark a thousand subscriber mark on Friday, March 18th. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, March 18th. I then, you know, waited, you know, obviously because I wake up to this and I didn't really rush to my computer to apply and, and handle all this stuff. I, you know, me and the girlfriend ate breakfast at our Airbnb. Uh, we took our time. We just kind of like marinated a little bit. And then finally it was around 2.30ish, maybe 3 or was it a little bit later. I think it was like two thirty-five, uh, 2.30, between 2.30 and 4 o'clock in the afternoon, west, w- west Coast. I finally went onto my laptop opened it in desktop form because I wasn't gonna do this through the phone, open up the desk, uh, my Chrome browser and went to the monetization tab to click apply and followed all the steps. Most of you who probably are familiarized with the application process for partnership already know exactly what that process is. You have to review the terms and conditions and agree to them. You need a link and access account. And then finally, once you do those two steps, your channel is then put into the third step automatically, which is for your channel to get automatically reviewed by a human worker over at YouTube. I don't know why that sounded so funny, a human worker. But... They will manually review your channel to make sure that it's complying with YouTube's uh, ad-friendly policies as far as, you know, inappropriate content, you know, stuff that has to do with, you know, drugs, language, sexualized content, you know, the works. uh, As far as making it sure that this is something that they could partner, partner up with advertisers. So, this happened on Friday, and I agreed to the terms, and then, of course, linked my already existing AdSense account because I already had an AdSense account, and this definitely sped up the process. You probably already had other, heard other YouTubers mention this as well, that speeding up the process uh, is definitely helped out by having an AdSense account already existing because that takes an additional few days to get approved. I already started, around the time that I started this niche channel, I started a website, darkspiderdavid.com, which you can find in the description, And along with this, I also added, uh, created an Adsense account and linked that, uh, linked my website as where I want to put my ads. And after a few days, my Adsense account got approved. And as long as I saw that publisher ID, I thought to myself, okay, if that publisher ID exists, then my Adsense account should be, should be good, should be legitimate, should be existing. So for months I had a legitimate ads account really wasn't earning anything because it's just off of my website and I'm not going to like force my website in every single YouTube video. I'm just going to say, hey, there is I do have a website where I post blog posts where you can find an RSS feed of my podcast where you can shop for merch, etc. So I just, you know, did all that uh, traditional housekeeping kind of stuff. And then so when it came to step two to link the AdSense account, I followed the steps prompt, uh, prompts to be able to link the existing AdSense account, signing into the Gmail, et cetera, et cetera. And then I g- pretty much got the screen where it said in progress, where it said to approving or linking or, or, or uh, acquiring the publisher ID for the AdSense. So step one was in the green. It said done. Step two said in progress. Okay. You know, and it said right there, this could take several days. I'm hoping it'll take a lot less time than that, but okay, I'll leave it alone. So the day, the hours went by for that day. And me and the girlfriend had plans to, basically that morning we went out for breakfast, Uh, came back. I did the whole th- partnership thing. Uh, After breakfast, we went grocery shopping and, you know, kind of going around the town that we stayed at. And we made dinner. And so after dinner, we sat down and we watched The Boys because we're behind on season two. We still haven't watched season two. And I know that that season three trailer is out there. I have not watched it because the thumbnail already kind of spoiled a particular little detail already. So that was enough for me to be like, babe, we need to buckle down and finally watch Boys season two because we have not seen season two. We got two episodes in until we started to get a little fatigued from The Boys because... You know, after only after a little while, even though I'm personally desensitized, my girlfriend, not so much when it comes to like the gore and the crazy shit that can happen on that show. And plus, the episodes are like the full hour. If there were like I even told her if it was like the 44, 45 minutes that hour long shows without the commercials are, then I'll probably be like, yeah, third. Let's do the third one. But it's the full hour. So it's like a full two hour movie that we kind of went through. And we also wanted to do other stuff like play video games and, and, and chill and such. So after the second episode, you know, you know, we were done. I decided to to, to check on the status of the whole ads thing just to see if maybe it'll take a little less than that, especially since it is st- still technically a work day, even though I think YouTube operates at a 24-7 level. This is where the shit then got weird and problematic and my stomach got into nuts because something happened where... My subscriber count went from because uh, up until this point, my subscriber count kept increasing from the flat a thousand to like a thousand and f- uh, twenty something. Like I was actually, you know, the Flashpoint Batman was bringing in the subscribers, and it was like a thousand and twenty one, a thousand and twenty two, something like that. Uh before we started watching the boys. After a couple of episodes of watching the boys, so about two, two and a half hours later, I loaded this up again, and I lost sixty subscribers. I went from a thousand and twenty something to like nine sixty three. Yeah, nine sixty three. I was like, "What the fuck?" I mean, I I heard that YouTube ever so often on a quarterly basis, which was we're kind of closing in on that because it's almost the end of March they like to do these purges where they purge a bunch of spam bot accounts from people's channels to make sure that you have authentic people subscribe to your channel and whatnot. Okay, cool. But 60 on my channel? Like, uh, if my channel was slightly bigger, I would understand 60, but right now as it is, okay, what does this mean for my application? I go to the monetization tab, and I'm back to the... Quote unquote countdown screen, aka the screen where it shows you the little needles going forward when you're trying to meet the 4,000 hours of watch time and you're trying to meet the 1,000 hours, I mean, 1,000 subscribers. We're back to that screen, and I have green check marks on all of them except the subscribers. The subscriber thing is back to the little uh, needle saying 963 out of 1,000. In conclusion, It's almost like my application never happened. And I checked my email to see if I got rejected. There's no rejection email. There's no email of any kind to let me know of anything. It's almost like it it didn't happen. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm thrown into a funk... This comes on the same day that something kind of weird happened at work where there was a miscommunication error with one of my ideas that didn't get put through and because of that I was bummed out about that and then this happens and I and my brain just starts racing into a bunch of areas that lately I've been in a funk with as far as like just life in general uh, you know, going to the gym, not being able to, you know, increase my strength or increase or gain mass or anything like that. My mass gainer that I bought, I don't, I feel like it's not really working. To be honest, it tastes great, but and it fills me up as far as appetite, but it's not working, and I I get depressed Friday night, and this is where we get again to that roller coaster analogy because that was a high, uh, at least an initial high, and then we're now into a deep low where just so many, uh so many um straws get piled on this camel's back and I get thrown into a depressive funk that I bring me and my girlfriend's vacation kind of down you know here we are in this Airbnb and I just cannot help but start to feel depressed Uh, kind of put us at odds with each other going into Saturday and yeah without putting too much business out there uh, we weren't doing great thankfully we're awesome now but you know we we were kind of going through a slight little bit of a rough patch. And then after, you know, cooling down and simmering down and trying to look at things objectively, especially as the we then transition into Saturday, and then it, I finally came up with this idea, go into your analytics, I tell myself, and go into the specific analytics that show you how many subscribers you gained and lost per day. Because there is a feature in the YouTube analytics that lets you show uh, how many subscribers you gained, how many actually subscribed versus how many you lost, and the difference is how many you actually did increase on. And so I went to that analytic pa- analytical page. I then funneled down the, the specific date to just be that Friday when this happened, this 60-subscriber uh, loss. Um, I changed the date to March 18th, just March 18th, no other day, just this day, and show me how many subscribers I gained and how many I lost. It showed that I lost only two. Only two people uh unsubscribed, or maybe closed our account. who knows what the reasoning is, but it showed only two. It showed that I gained fifty subscribers in that day, but I lost two, which means that the differentiator should only be forty eight that I actually jumped on, but yet it was at nine sixty three and by Saturday it was at nine it was nine uh, ninety something. We were about to hit a thousand again ish um. Uh, So that's where I thought to myself, okay, the analytics are actually telling me I didn't lose 60, I only lost 2. So that means this has to be a glitch. It has to be. It's not 60 people actually in unison unsubscribing or closing their accounts or getting purged. It can't be. And either way, my only options here is to just wait either for this glitch to fix itself... Or for to hit the thousand because I'm you know not to to my own horn here but I'm actually increasing in subscriber count rapid enough that I could probably hit a thousand again in a couple of days and that's the another thing that I had to like step back and and look at and go this could have been much worse the this purge or this glitch could have been much much worse and I could have lost way more subscribers and had to make that back end even harsher if I didn't have a successful video out there. Bringing in views and and getting spread out by the uh, recommendation system. Then we get to Saturday night after, like I said, ba- being bounced out of a a, a funk. Uh, you know, me and my girlfriend back on on being uh, a, in a better place, talking it out. Uh, we went out uh, just to kind of go about the town, and then finally we come up come up with the idea to go to downtown Disney to kind of walk around, go around the shops. It is the happiest place on earth, after all. As soon as we get there. Out of curiosity, it's funny because I wasn't, I was, you know, doing it passively, but my phone kind of, by accident, it hit the Chrome browser and opened up the application page, which was the last thing that I checked out on my phone. Lo and behold, I'm back up to 1,060 something subscribers. From the 990 something to 1,060 something. Basically, that 60 subscriber loss glitch fixed. It was a glitch. It went back up and when I go to the application page, now it's showing that the first two steps are done. It shows the assets account step, which step number two is fixed, is now in the green saying done, and now the third step is automatically saying in progress, saying that your YouTube channel is now being reviewed. What the hell? <laughs> I honestly don't know what happened here. It was definitely a glitch. It wasn't a legitimate count, so if any of you are listening or watching this on YouTube by you know, in audio form, there could be the chance that a glitch could happen, especially if you're a smaller known uh, channel. Uh, if you just broke the cusp of 1,000 subscribers and whatnot, uh, it's possible that maybe something uh, in the way, not to quote Nirvana here, because I, we were listening to the song on repeat over the weekend, especially after watching The Batman, <laughs> the, it, there might be something here that if you're a smaller channel, there could be a glitch within the system that will kind of flutter things about as far as your analytics and the actual subscriber count when you apply for partnership, especially if you're like me and you already had an existing Ads account and maybe the system in the process of looking at that existing Ads account and going, yeah, I need to look at this first. There could, it, that could have caused the glitch. Maybe if I was creating a brand new AdSense in the process, it wouldn't have this whole kerfuffle wouldn't have happened but at the end of the day it was a glitch that ultimately did fix itself it just took a damn near a full 24 hours for it to fix itself so it has happened it it, it happened to me it probably has happened to other people that haven't exactly chronicled their journey but i'm just here to kind of put it on record that if you have an existing ads account and you're going to pair it that could cause a glitch, and you're just going to have to wait it out at least, uh, I would say, a couple of days. It took a full day for me to have mine fixed on its own and proceed on with the application process. Uh, if it goes, I would say a good threshold, a good rule of thumb, a good little window is three days. And after that three days, if it hasn't been fixed, then definitely hit up YouTube uh, customer support or you know whatever their feedback system is, which I know that if you're not a partner, it's kind of a crapshoot because they might hear you out. You They might not hear you out. Who knows? All I know is that Saturday night, there I am refreshing it, and now the first two steps are done. The last step is in the yellow in-progress section. Uh, And then at that point, I think to myself, okay, now this is a good place where I legitimately just have to keep on waiting. This was Saturday night, and then finally Monday afternoon, I think it was like 4-ish, 5-ish, kind of close to the end of my workday. I refresh. I, I don't really get an email yet. But I refresh the monetization page, and sure enough, the features are there. And there's a screen saying, Congratulations, Dark Spider David, you're a partner. So that was two days after the glitch fixed itself, three days after the application was actually submitted from the very, very get go, and it started the whole process, which lines up with what a lot of people have already been saying which is that it takes about three to four days on average these days. But of course, as always, they're going to cover the basis and tell you it could take up to a month, which means that, yes, in theory, on paper, it could take a month, depending on how the queue is, depending on how things are going over there at YouTube HQ. But so far, I remember reading a bunch of people and a lot of testimonials from big channels like vidIQ to small channels, That only just barely broke the cusp of a thousand subscribers or 2,000 ish, somewhere along those lines. And coming back saying, Yeah, it took me about three or four days. You know, not all that long. And here I am, another testimonial that it took three days from when I started the application, two days from when that glitch fixed itself and finally, you know, pushed through to the review process. And now here I am as a, a YouTube partner with this niche channel. And. I just cannot begin to thank the people that made this happen, that subscribed, that have been watching, that have been commenting, that have been liking, that have been just supporting overall, every single one. And I know that right now we're actually on the cusp of hitting 1,200, 1,200. But before that happens, everybody from this point, from when I started the channel brand new in September till now, it's it's been crazy and it's only been just a little just a little under seven months. I mean, we haven't hit a year and I've already got the brain a flutter of like different ideas of how to bring unique ideas and unique things to the channel. Of course, the most successful series of of, of content as far as like the McFarlane toys and the Spider-Man figures and the cosplay videos and maybe getting a new Spider-Man suit from RPC Studio. That's a big holy grail that I would like to get going. Uh, I know that next month my reservation of the Steam Deck might finally come through, and I thought to myself, okay, that's gonna be like a miscellaneous channel thing. But then I thought, I'm not really seeing a lot of YouTube videos comment on how to play the Tobey Maguire, <laughs> the Toby Maguire Spider-Man spin-off games from 2002, 2004 on the Steam Deck, especially since it is ripe for emulation. Can we make that happen? Now, I would say that's a uh, That's a very niche channel video if I ever thought of one. I thought to myself, oh boy, I'm getting kind of giddy just thinking about making content like that. So a lot of different ideas are now kind of fluttering. And that's ultimately the focus now. I mean, we're monetized now. From now on, every new uh, big significant number on the channel as far as subscribership, as far as subscriber count, it's just a milestone. It's no longer a goal. So hitting 2,000 would be nice. Like In my mind, the next milestones would be 2,000 then 5,000, and then 10,000. And then after that, I don't know. Because after that, it's just a whole different ballpark. I never hit to that 10,000 ever in my life, not even on the miscellaneous channel. And at the rate that we're going, it's not outside of the realm of possibility. Especially as uh, as I continue to just upload more content, more videos, there's more chances of things getting discovered. And who knows? Like a video that I never thought of would be popular ends up getting picked up. That Flashpoint Batman video... I was expecting it to do good, but not 176,000 views good. Never. No. A couple thousand, maybe 10,000 at, at most, but 176... No, no way. No fucking way. So it's it kind of tough for me to kind of call in some things, like videos that I expect to do great don't really do all that well, and then videos that I kind of just posted out there are, end up going the ways of like the Flashpoint Batman video that ultimately helped me become partner. So it's unprecedented, but it's because of that unknown that gets me motivated to continue making this content. And now working in partnership with the job that I have as far as it getting busy, I'm trying to, you know, balance things out and schedule things out accordingly. I mean, to the point where if things become a little too crazy for me to manage right now, I might have to pull back and start doing only a video a week or I might have to talk to someone at work to be like... Because I'm handling two accounts and officially, I'm not supposed to handle two accounts, only one. So I might talk to someone and be like, hey, kind of want to go back to just one account just so that my workflow can be a little less stressful and uh, see how that goes. So who, who, who knows? Uh, the next couple of days, we'll kind of hopefully decide that. But let's uh, it, it now enough of the, par- the partnership thing. Uh, again, once again, thank you all for making this happen. I appreciate it. And if you guys haven't checked out the niche channel already, the YouTube link is going to be in the description. I don't have a specific URL because I haven't this. De- I could change it, but I haven't decided on one because Dark Spider-David is already taken by the Miscellaneous Channel. So I'm trying to decide what to do for the new one. But if you guys want to check that out, either if you're listening to this on podcast form or if you're watching this as a video on the Miscellaneous Channel, it's going to be in the description or as a top-pin comment. If you guys can check out the regularly posted uh, twice-a-week content on both Spider-Man and Batman right over there. And things are can only go up from here. Thank you guys again, and as always, stay humble. Now, back to the trip, uh, which really doesn't get all that much crazier from there. I just mentioned that we went to Downtown Disney, and we kind of walked around. It was actually a really, especially after discovering this, what, when we arrived, about the whole thing with the application finally going through, or at least the first two steps, and now being in the review progress. My mind was a little bit more at ease. I mean, there were still some things that were related to work and other things part of my life that I was still kind of stressing about. But I thought to myself, you know what? We are at Downtown Disney. Let's just focus on this. And I genuinely did have a good time, which is funny because I don't really like crowds of people. I don't really like walking around all that much in these kind of circumstances and spaces. And yet seeing, you know... The little iconography with some of the Star Wars stuff and the Marvel stuff, the Lego store there downtown Disney. You know, it's the cheaper way, and I say that loosely, uh, of tr- tr- kind of getting a pseudo Disney experience without actually going into-, into the park. Now, a bummer was that it kind of started to sprinkle slash light rain when we got there, but it was never in a crazy way where it was like just boring or anything like that. It it, it felt kind of right for the air, right for the atmosphere. And while we were there, like I said, we just went to, like, a bunch of uh, different stores. We went to the Star Wars a- area where they had, like, this cool salacious crumb kind of puppet that you can kind of control with, like, a little trigger uh, grip that you can press. And it looks like he's moving his head and in his mouth, and that's pretty dope. Uh, and then just a handful of other stores just to kind of, like, you know, check out the sides and-, and things like that. The Lego store, seeing a bunch of stuff that I'm probably going to potentially buy in the future and, and go broke on. Uh, I did buy my girlfriend a new coffee mug that has, like, stamps of, like, all over the world that are very Disney-fied because she's been needing one. So that that was pretty cool. Uh, In fact, I even got mildly envious. And then as we just kind of went through, we also grabbed some snacks. I personally got brown sugar uh, glazed beignets from one of those. uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's that New uh, Orleans-inspired restaurant. And, of course, they got the beignets and yeah, they were worth it, they were fucking worth it, uh, me and the girlfriend ate two by the end of Sunday night, no, yeah, no, yeah, I'm right, no, she ate one, and I ate one, and then I ate a second one Sunday night before going to bed, because I was hungry, so I heated it up from Saturday night, the fourth one, I'm praying, I left it for my mom, slash my dad, if he ever wants to partake in it, that, it's been days, I haven't even asked them if they've eaten it, but anyways, Yeah, we had that, and then my girlfriend went ahead and got herself an extra scoop of ice cream from this place, Salt and Something. I can't remember the, again, I'm bad at the names of these uh, uh, restaurants and places to stop at. But it's basically an ice cream place where they have very quirky flavors. And she got herself this flavor that was ultimately good. It was very light, like it didn't feel very dairy-infused. Because the first thing I thought of myself when I tasted the ice cream was how to compare it to Ben & Jerry's. Because Ben & Jerry's is often very thick as far as, like, the dairy content in there it's that sometimes as much as I like certain flavors of Ben and Jerry's my favorite is American Dream I can only have like a few scoops before I finally start to feel kind of heavy and and I don't want to say sick but just kind of tired of it uh and here it was definitely lighter the only reason why I didn't even eat more ice cream is because I had a fucking giant ass beignet in me um so yeah we were high on sugar by the end of that night and you know it ended on a good note it definitely ended on a good note So then Sunday, we wake up, uh, it's checkout time now. We stop at a Starbucks for breakfast. And then we thought of ourselves, and I'm hoping that my friend doesn't kill me for taking advantage of this opportunity. But it turns out that we stayed at an Airbnb near a certain location that's called Frankenson's. And I've heard of this place very frequently, very reoccurringly, especially in conversations with my friend, a surface Assassin, a.k.a. Greg, about how this is basically a collectible trading show type of space. And so we finally and I thought of myself, I thought it was like a Saturday only thing. Turns out they're also open on Sunday. They just close like an hour earlier. They close at five. At this point, it's 11 a.m., a little bit before 11 a.m., so me and the girlfriend were like, you want to go walk off breakfast? You know, kind of check it out before we leave the area? And I'm like, sure. So we park, we walk in, and oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's pretty much a fucking mini Comic-Con as far as, like, the the displays and what you can buy as far as, like, just nonstop nerdy culture, you know, I, anything that you can imagine, as far as like action figures, collectibles, accessory, it's just it's pretty much like fucking Comic Con or WonderCon for that matter. It's essentially what the, what it is in a giant Costco sized space. And we were there. I thought myself. I thought I was only going to be there for like an hour, hour and a half. We were in there for about three hours. And it's a very dangerous place because both me and the girlfriend bought some stuff. I bought some more McFarlane's to potentially cover on the niche channel, like I just mentioned. Um, some some of which are actually a little on the rare side, and technically they were priced at a higher MSRP, but not crazy. That, that's why I told myself. It's got to be in that balanced uh, stage where it's like, yeah, it's going to be priced up more because it's rare, but at the same time, I don't. I'm not gonna be paying anything more than like fifty, sixty bucks. And I found like one or two for like thirty, thirty-five. And I was like, all right, yeah, that's like ten, fifteen dollars more than the MSRP. But I know that this is a uh, Batman McFarland from like two, three years ago that you cannot find at Targets or Walmart's or Best Buy's anymore. I'm, I'm gonna take it. And it looks awesome. So that's kind of what I did on my front. And I was so tempted to get a couple of other things, but I thought to myself you know it's within driving distance i'll come back here with my buddy uh surface assassin and maybe then i'll have a little bit more cash that's a bit more spendable uh and maybe look at some things that i could look at and go yeah I'll, I'll finally take you home one of which was the collector's edition for uncharted 3 which they were selling for 150 i thought i myself 150 that's not terrible it's not the greatest price, but it's not terrible. It's kind of close to MSRP and because this is the collector's edition of Uncharted 3, which is damn near 11 years old, for 150, that's again, that's not bad. That's uh, that's not that's not terrible with what's included, especially that steelbook. And it's but I put a pin on it. And then I saw the Arkham Origins collector's edition that was going for about 200. Now, 200 for a game that's probably in the same kind of circumstance as the Uncharted 3 collection where it's like from 2013, so it's almost about 10 years old. It's for the 360, which means that if it comes with a game, I can actually just pop it into my Series X and still be able to play it because of the backwards compatibility and pot- potentially stream it or capture it for a review on the on the niche channel. Unfortunately, however, what gave me kind of pause is that when I saw it up on, it was like stacked up on one of these uh, vendor displays uh, so it was kind of high on top. I couldn't really pick it up or nothing like that. But from what I could tell, it wasn't in the greatest condition. The Uncharted 3 Collector's Edition looked in good condition. It looked solid. The Arkham Origins, on the other hand, the box was pretty fucked up. And I was like, for 200 bucks, I-, I saw some on eBay and Mercari that are going for a cheaper price. And they have legit photos that show me that it's in a way better con- conditional state than what they're showing me over there, so I'm gonna have to you now take a take a beat on this to to really decide if I want to go with this. So those were my temptations. Amongst the hot toys, there were hot toys there. They ha- now they didn't have my holy grail, which is of course the Joker uh, uh, hot toys that can, that you can swap and and change for the police officer Joker from the parade. Um, that's my holy grail because you're basically getting two figures in one and you get the default Joker with like all the accessories and the coat and the outfit and all that stuff. And it's realistic, it's very fine-tuned, that's my holy grail. They didn't have that. Uh, Every single display that had some kind of hot toy, especially one in the middle that was purely dedicated to just hot toys, they didn't have it. They had it on display, but they didn't have it. Uh, They had a couple of others, though, that were slightly on the tempting side, such as Harvey Dent from the Dark Knight line. As well as a uh, bat flick from Justice League, was it Justice League or Batman? I think it was the Batman vs Superman uh, version of, of bat flick. As well as going as far back as to Batman Begins. Now this one, to be honest, I think was a bit more tantalizing. They had a the two pack that has the Demon Batman and the and Scarecrow from Batman Begins. It's a two pack, and they were selling it for five fifty. That to me wasn't all that terrible because for five fifty you're getting two figures, so if you want to look at it from a uh from a point of view, that means each figure is about two seventy five which is traditionally retail price, and then I go online and sure enough, uh the cheapest I could find is five hundred even, so they're only selling it for fifty bucks more. I was like, eh. and I can see it here, and I can see the the condition, which it was't good condition. And I was like, all right, that that was mildly tempting, but I can't really be spending five fifty right now. I really can't. McFarlane's were a different case because under eighty bucks, I was able to get like three, damn near four, if I if I wanted to. But yeah, it, it, I, I had to pull back. But that was not a bad offer for that two pack. And when I say Demon Batman, it's basically the Batman that uh, Crane slash Scarecrow sees when he gets poisoned himself there, uh, to, uh, in the middle of the movie where he's like Crane. Who do you work for? And he's got that stuff coming out of his mouth. It was pretty much that two pack, and it was again, it was kind of tempting, but I was like, I can't be spending 150 here. So yeah, I there's I just wish I could have been taking more pictures, but like I said, it was just so overwhelming of of all the stuff that could be found there: cosplay accessories, a bunch of other you know Japanese manga anime stuff. There's this whole section for people who are dedicated to um. Uh, sports you know just a bunch of collectibles around sports if I had a complaint it would be that there were some displays that were just a little too focused on Funkos like there were certain sections that I got hyped for and then when I walked in it was literally nothing but Funkos and I'm like okay I like Funkos but guys come down I just saw another Funkos guy down the aisle over there you guys could you know kind of you know very you know diversify a little bit but other than that, yeah, I, I need to come back. I need to come back. Whether it be with the girlfriend or with service assassin, It's, it's I have to make it happen. Because this place is dangerous for the wallet. But if, I fi- if I'm able to get my finances in order, this would be a place to come. And who, who the hell would even need Comic-Con or WonderCon at this point? Because Frankensons, I'm going in there and I'm like, fuck, man. And who knows? There's the, always the potential that maybe when I do come back, some vendor or some display will have that Joker Holy Grail that I'm after. So we'll see. But finally, we had to call it quits, especially because of how tired we were both were from the walking at Downtown Disney to now the three hours of walking at Frankenstein's. We were like, we need a bounce. We need to leave. And finally, we left We and we headed home. I chilled at her place for a couple of hours just to kind of catch my breath. And that was the end of our trip. So that was pretty much our... Uh, co-ordeal, however, during this trip, uh, I, we, uh, me and the girlfriend finally sat down to watch the PlayStation State of Play solely focused on Hogwarts Legacy, so let's go ahead and now talk about that. Yes, I want to talk about the State of Play centering all around Hogwarts Legacy before I get to my what I've been playing, only because... I just need to get these news out, and it was a perfect segue, if, I, if I'm if per- i perfectly honest with myself. So, I finally sat down and watched the Hogwarts Legacy State of Play, deep dive into the gameplay and overall look of the game, and I managed to watch it with my girlfriend, because she is a huge pothead. Potterhead. Potterhead. Well, I she's kind of a pothead, too. But a potterhead nonetheless, and, yeah, she instantly picked herself up. As soon as I loaded it up on the TV, she was like, oh, my God. And so we knew that this was something that we needed to both check out and, you know, because we're both huge fans of the universe. I would argue that she is a bigger fan than me. That's not to say that I'm I'm not. I just, in terms of level, I can instantly tell that she's more diehard than, than I really am. You know, there's other properties that I'm more of a diehard than even she is. So when it came to Hogwarts Legacy, I knew that there's a certain angle that this could be a very successful video game. Of course, it's a little tumultuous to really talk about, and really bold to really talk about this game, whether it be from the consumer level amongst us on Twitter, etc., but also from the developers over at Porky Games and publishing over at Warner Brothers uh, WB Games, because of the unfortunate, controversial nature behind the creator of the Wizarding World, J.K. Rowling, so... There, there is a little bit of a gray cloud there, but I'm a firm believer that we can definitely separate the work from the uh, the, the the creation from the creator. Uh, and here, I'm able to. I know that a lot of people are taking firm stand, and I don't don't blame them. I don't blame them for taking firm stances to be like, yeah, we're not covering this stuff. We're not talking about this stuff. We're not talking about this game. We're not gonna be playing this game. Um, And it's unfortunate because, you know, agreements are made, contracts have been uh, inked out, and I know that certain things are going to just be paved out in a specific manner. But, uh, again, I'm doing it... Just keep in mind that that creator is not the only one whose hand is in this. There's also literally hundreds of other people who are just huge fans of this universe that wanted to create an awesome game. And that's what we kind of got a gist of towards the end of the state of play, which was what I assumed was going to be the case. Going into the state of play, I told myself, okay, there's a really good chance that this is going to be split up into two parts. There's going to be a part where it's nothing but just narration over the gameplay, and then there's going to be developers talking about the game with like concept art and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, as long as there's a good balance between the two, and it doesn't feel like we're kind of given the shorthand or hold on gameplay, then I'm fine. I'm fine, and, and thankfully, that wasn't that wasn't the case, well, that was more than just the case, I feel like we ended up getting more a, g- a good look of gameplay than we had the developers really just drone dronefully just talking about the gameplay without ever really showing us anything, in fact, they started off with the gameplay, and then went on for a good while, it was like, in the whole state of play, they said it was going to be about 20-25 minutes, something like that, And I would say that out of that chunk of time, the majority of it really did go into gameplay. They just sat down, had the narrator come on, and they went into virtually every facet of the game. From story, to customization, to the premise as to why this game kind of exists. uh, The time slot in in which it's taking place, and the existence of it. And... I'm pretty happy with what they showed. Overall, the game starts you off as a fifth year in Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, So, you're not a first year. I will... I'm probably going to have to consult some Potterheads here. Whether it be my girlfriend or, once again, Service Assassin, as I mentioned earlier. (laughs) He's also a Potterhead himself. And I'm going to have to consult some people because I will admit I'm a little... I don't want to say disconnected, but a little, uh, you know, far off from having last either watched some of the movies or even read the books. In fact, the last book that I read was Half-Blood Prince. I didn't even read Deathly Hallows because by the time I got to Deathly Hallows, the movies were already well into, like, the fourth or fifth movie. And I told myself, I'd rather watch the movie first and then read the book. And years went by, and I never managed to read the book. And hopefully one of these days I'll be able to fix that. But at the same time, again, the whole thing with J.K. Rowling, I'm kind of like, ah. That's really frustrating. So who knows? We'll see. But because that's a little more closer to the source, if you will. And I don't know how I feel about that. So there is that. But it has been a while since I've been connected to the lore in this very profound way. I'm hoping that Hogwarts Legacy will do the same because I am a little intrigued to how they explain how you're a fifth year at Hogwarts and yet you still have some students and teachers approaching you and referring to you as the new guy or new girl or new person, new student. Because we see snippets of that in the gameplay. where you have NPCs address you as like, oh, hey, you're the new student or whatever. Or they kind of talk to you like you're just starting out and yet you're a fifth year. Is the fifth year just like in terms of age and not so much grade? Because that's what I need to know. like, I, Or that's what I need to kind of like reintroduce myself to. It's like fifth year doesn't necessarily mean... Like, it's your fifth year at Hogwarts. It's your first year at Hogwarts, but they can't use the fifth year because you're older. You're like 16 or 17 instead of the 11 or 12 that Harry started off. Speaking of Harry, that whole legacy with Harry, Voldemort, Dumbledore, etc. There might be some cameos. I'm expecting... Well, I, I take it back. Maybe not so much Dumbledore. Maybe Dumbledore as a younger student himself or... A couple of snippets here and there, maybe like a younger Snape, younger stuff. I'm expecting there to be some cameos, to be honest, but not in the fullest sense of the word. You know, obviously we're not gonna have Voldemort in there, or even definitely not not Harry, unless there's some kind of time travel uh, spell involved, because this game takes place in the 1800s, like late 1800s or something like that, and that explains some of the more antiquated nature of some of the things you kind of see bleed over from the Muggle world, if you will. Like, you have some characters wearing top hats and overcoats that are very keen to that late 1800s era of, uh, of Americana and, of course, uh, you know, Eastern Europe and whatnot. So, I, I see a little bit of that kind of combined here within the, the the time setting and the aesthetic. So, that is pretty interesting and also kind of smart to at least deviate away from that whole thing because we don't want another Star Wars situation where you have this giant universe... And yet, the majority of these movies and shows always have to connect back to the Skywalker, the Skywalker saga. Like every single time, the Mandalorian was awesome, and then finally, there's Luke. Like, okay, <laughs> and uh, you know that's also convenient. And it's looking like they're hopefully about about to avoid a few of those traps. Like I said, I'm expecting maybe cameos of characters in their younger, primary years, but nothing. I- I'm confident that at least they won't be. Terribly egregious and setting it in the 1800s is a smart move. From there, though, your character, you can customize the way that they look. They have a they have a template character here uh, it, that you see predominantly in the trailers, but it's similar to how you would see that staple version of V in Cyberpunk 2077, that, you know, grizzled white dude, but technically you can make the character look however the hell you want, so that's just like a template to just kind of sell the marketing. Otherwise, you'll be able to customize your character the way that you want to. And then, of course, as you know all of us were expecting for a game that takes place in hogwarts you can't really enter hogwarts and start off your wizard teachings unless you get sorted and that's gonna be a point of contention for me and my potterhead friends and and my girlfriend as far as which houses we fall into which if it's gonna align to the pottermore quiz uh, uh, quiz online that lets you know which house you are Last time I checked, when I took the test multiple times, I was a Gryffindor. My girlfriend, uh, actually both of my, my girlfriend and service assassin both ended up in Ravenclaw, which probably makes sense as to why they're in my life. <laughs> um, and I can't remember who else I knew was a Hufflepuff. But yeah, those are the main things. I don't think I know any Slytherins personally. But so far, that's what I am under the impression that we are as far as houses, as far as housing. So we'll see if Hogwarts Legacy matches up with that. I'm really, really hoping. I don't I don't think they really talked about this in, in full force, but it would be nice if there's some kind of interview here later down the line as we lead up to release. And they asked the developers, like, did you guys work with the people who run that quiz, that test online to put people in houses to extrapolate the same kind of data and quest- survey questions to then have a closer kind of pedigree there as far as what are the right questions and the right things out to to look out for when housing people and i'm hoping that that's incorporated here into the hogwarts legacy so i can end up in gryffindor again (laughs) but besides the housing you have that you have of course a plethora of other rpg mechanics but here's where i get into some minor caveats some things that do stand out to me as something that i look at and i go okay now I need to look at this less of a Harry Potter property and more of just a straightforward video game, because trust me, as the deep dive went into it, I start to get hyped. I mean, you, you, I really cannot blame someone, especially if you're a huge Harry Potter fan, you really cannot blame anybody for getting hyped over some of the things that we were seeing here. From the housing uh, uh, process of you know getting into your right house to your, the customization of how your character is going to look, and then of course the visual fidelity behind Hogwarts, seeing the dormitories, switch, uh, uh, seeing the common rooms of each house, seeing. The the hallways being able to with the moving pictures and then of course the rotating staircase the iconography around Hogwarts while at the same time kind of feeling its own thing something that even the developers talked about in the latter segment of the of the uh, of the state of play where they had the interviews with the developers talking over the B roll. They talked about how they're making a much more antiquated Hogwarts that, of course, is akin to the 1800s. It's not necessarily 100% one-to-one the Hogwarts that you saw in the movies, but there's heavy inspiration with some uh, differing factors to let it known that, hey, this is more so the Hogwarts Legacy Hogwarts, not so much the WB, Warner Brothers movies, uh, Daniel Radcliffe movie Hogwarts that you saw in there. So... I like that. I like that it's able to kind of cement its own footing in that lore while at the same time feeling different, but also familiar. And they talked about that at, at at length in the letter portion. And that's all fine and dandy. And like I said, visually, it looks like it's holding up its own, seeing seeing the different teachers talk from the potion teacher to the dark arts teacher to, you know all these other kind of things that you're, again, you're familiarized with, even if you didn't watch the movies, but you did read the books, you know, you're able to kind of start painting a picture of all the little details that you came from the book and again the developers will talk about this as well of how they would often not certain parts of the game they would be like okay we're not going to watch the movies but we are going to consult the books and then vice versa and then sometimes not even consult either and just be like what feels right to this particular part of the game even outside of Hogwarts like if you go into Hogsmeade or you know uh, all these other areas where you're going to have to be shopping around Definitely looking forward to seeing what kind of wand chooses me. Uh, That would be a very good opportunity, and I'm hoping that they're able to take full advantage of it. Now, looking at it from a simple gaming perspective, taking the Harry Potter, Hogwarts, Wizarding World factor out of the equation, I am a little, I guess you could say, concerned about the gameplay. Because when they started to actually show the gameplay and talk about it, as far as casting spells, how to work spells into your arsenal as far as defense, offense, strategy, working with other uh, players that are going to be part of Hogwarts Legacy. I'm fully expecting some kind of multiplayer implementation that's actually going to work with uh, working servers, if you will. I mean, as soon as I was done watching the state of play, I I hit up services and I was like, are we forming a gang or what? We're going to beat up people (laughs) with spells in Hogwarts, and that will be a stroke of genius, of course, it is intended to be single player for now, but who's to say that maybe multiplayer could come later on in in the form of like, hey, this is, you know, what could really work for a multiplayer component, because I just, I'm befuddled that they wouldn't be able to take advantage of that at some extent, maybe not at launch, like I said, I know that they confirmed that this is just a single player experience, but man, I, I can see the opportunity, the wealth of great gameplay experiences to be able to have a multiplayer component where me and surface a Gryffindor and a Ravenclaw could be going about a portion of Hogwarts legacy that's just taking classes and leveling up a character in a very MMO style kind of way Uh, but at least this kind of gives me a impression that the developers are rather focused on delivering a great single player experience however like I said the gameplay it doesn't look bad it's just that it, we also have to make sure that we don't overhype ourselves being so stoked and hyped up over the Hogwarts aspect that maybe, just maybe, and this is purely a, ther- a, a theoretical, really, a, a hypothetical, rather, as far as a question. Like, this is a legitimate question. I'm not saying this in a ser- d- sardonic kind of way, in a way where I'm like, oh yeah, th- I already know the answer to this. I don't. I'm just saying, is there the possibility that the gameplay might leave us wanting because the little the, the little bit that they showed during the state of play, yeah, casting spells is, is, is awesome. But then after a little while, they were talking about like the different combos you can do and how you can level up your character and gain new abilities. And don't get me wrong, that whole aspect can definitely have the opportunity or the, the potential to be addicting as far as leveling up your wizard, being able to gain, gain stronger abilities and combo them up. It's just that how is that different from other games, excuse me, I almost burped there, <laughs> uh, how is that going to be different from other games that have a similar play style, it's just that here, they just dress it up with the Hogwarts Wizarding World aesthetic, you get what I'm saying, like, you take a game, for example, like, Forspoken, that recently just got delayed to October, you have a, 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 abilities there, or better, yeah, let's take a game that's about to come out here, Ghostwire Tokyo, you have the different kind of like maneuvers with the fingers and being able to shoot them from a first-person perspective. Who's to say that Hogwarts Legacy's you know shooting style and combat style is frankly the same as that game? It's just that it's dressed up as a Hogwarts with a Hogwarts coat of paint on it. A Wizarding world coat of paint on it. As far as dealing with wands and dealing with spells using vernacular from the Wizarding world, from the movies and the and the and the book and the source material. That's the thing that only makes me just kind of be a little bit cautiously optimistic because that's the thing I, I don't have strong apprehensions or or any major worries or concerns. I just have to you know keep that small little guard up so that when I play, you know, I just don't feel the sting of disappointment all that strongly, and that's generally in my nature. You know what I'm saying? Like when I, whenever I see a movie or a show, and there's always that one character. Oh, uh, Spider-Man: No Way Home. Um, MJ. Whenever she says, "Keep your expectations low, and you'll never be disappointed," or something like that, I'm like, "Yup." there there I am. She's my spirit animal because that's pretty much been my mantra now for years as far as keeping my expectations low. And that's what I'm trying to do with the gameplay here where the customization options may be dope and, of course, it's going to be very tough to beat that wonder of being able to walk through the hallways of, of Hogwarts. Definitely a step up from the PlayStation 1 game or PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 games that were adapted from the first two Harry Potter games. I remember the Quidditch game that I played on GameCube and I'm expecting some kind of Quidditch... Uh, form of system here. I I, I don't think they talked about Quidditch. They definitely talked about flying on the broom and being able to navigate the the grounds of Hogwarts and outside of Hogwarts uh, via either a broom or even a griffin. Oh my god, flying the griffin. I'm definitely looking forward to that. But as far as You know, implementations on the gameplay. That's where I look at it and go, uh, 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 you know, it doesn't look. It definitely doesn't look bad. It still has the potential to be fun, but let's at the same time not get carried ourselves with the hype of this taking place in the Wizarding World and pretend that it may not be all that different from what we've already experienced in other games. Now, the only other real concern that I have, you know, outside of the gameplay, is also those villains. Because you know there has to be some kind of antagonistic nature here in the story, you know, to you know, kind of build momentum and build a case for why it is that you're doing things upon Hogwarts. Otherwise, you might as well have made it an MMO of some sort. So, what is the hook here with the single-player experience taking place in a RPG-style uh, Wizarding World RPG? Well, there's some kind of coup going on with these goblins. And they have some kind of affiliation with some dark wizards. But we really don't know much of anything else other than the little snippets that we saw in that trailer. Like, th- there's some kind of goblin uprising and it's up to your character working with your friends and other teachers to bring it to light and expose it. Gotta be honest, not necessarily the biggest draw. I, and I know that th- it's it, almost any kind of antagonist or opposing force that is not Voldemort and his followers is going to pale in comparison. You know, I'm having a tough time attaching myself to the whole uh, through line here of Grindelwald with fucking Fantastic Beasts, to be quite honest. Like, Fantastic Beasts right now is on the same level as... Uh, the Hobbit trilogy with that whole Middle Earth uh, series between Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, it's just like with Fantastic Beasts and Harry Potter. With Harry Potter, dope. Fantastic Beasts, gotta be honest, I'm kind of like meh, whatever. You know, I'm only seeing them because my girlfriend is in love with that world and she definitely wants to go see the third one. Uh, so I'm just gonna have to bite that bullet. But uh, for now, I'm getting some Fantastic be- Beasts vibes. From these villains, these uh bad guys, you know, with the goblins and, and whatnot. Like, they'll be, you know, they'll be there to beat them up with different spells and test out my different combinations and what I've been leveling up with. But outside of that, I'm just thinking to myself, what exactly... It is really going on behind the scenes here. And I'm hoping that maybe there is some kind of surprise twist or some kind of angle that I wasn't really expecting as we play more of the game come release. But right now, that's the only real reservation that I have, is that I'm more attracted to being able to just be a student at Hogwarts period as opposed to actually exposing this this uh, goblin uprising. I personally am f- finding it very difficult to really care for that angle of this game. Outside of that, though... What they were able to show on this gameplay, is, or this state of play overall, was pretty satisfying. Like, as soon as they were done wrapping up, I'm like, you know what? You guys checked out all the boxes. You guys gave us a really firm look. And there's probably a handful of other details that I'm not really, you know, kind of remembering at the moment right now. Only because I'm trying to hit the main, main points. And then, from that point, then the last, like... I want to say like six or seven minutes was talking to the developers and they kept cutting back to the B-roll that you already watched, but they kept it brief, they kept it short and kind of straight to the point while at the same time making sure that they tackled that gameplay first and then get introduced us to the people behind the curtain that are going to be in charge of handling this game and they look like Potterheads just like us. So I would say overall what we're seeing for the Hogwarts Legacy deep dive is that it's, uh, it's looking pretty solid, and it was made even sweeter by the confirmation that there's not going to be any microtransactions. Afterwards, one of the developers took to Twitter to confirm this, and that was very, very happy to hear, considering that there was one snippet there. In the gameplay deep dive that I almost kind of overlooked just now, but thankfully I remembered, where you are in certain areas of the of the castle, of Hogwarts Castle, or specifically the dormitory, uh, the something of remembrance, I can't remember what the name of the room is called, but basically it's, it's going to be your hub. It's going to be your hub where you go to level up your spells, being able to craft potions and craft different things but when i saw your character, when i saw the main character your customizable character go through some chess and being able to loot stuff i was like oh god oh god there it is and thankfully if they can keep it closer to the likes of god i'm having a tough time remembering think of uh, remembering of a, g- a game or thinking of a game right now that has some kind of looting system but there's no microtransactions it's all just in game where it's like you just have to loot within the game as long as it can keep that shit balanced and consistent and not get given to temptation about the microtransactions and back up on the word again this is going to be a solid uh release come holiday 2022 and very smart for them to not really give us a month and date because right now things are just looking also oh testy with uh covid and How work conditions are still kind of stretched out. We just got some recent word of delays, both in the form of surprise delays and also some confirmed delays of games that were being reported to be delayed and finally they had to cave in and be like, yep, it's happening. And that's actually some of the piece of news that we're about to talk about right now. But final thoughts on this Hogwarts Legacy segment is that honestly, Pretty impressed with what I saw, minus a couple of caveats, whether it be with the actual antagonists of the game, with that whole Goblin Uprising subplot, or maybe the gameplay not being as flashy as it visually actually looks like. Uh, But of course, all reservations that could easily be thwarted in time once we have the game in hands come holiday 2022. Now that we got the state of play for Hogwarts Legacy out of the way, what have I been playing? So, obviously, last week I confirmed that I finally beat Horizon Forbidden West. That's kind of out of my backlog, out of mind, out of sight. I even, fa- I, in fact, I even took the weekend of me and the girlfriend kind of being away during some downtime, you know, whenever. We were just kind of chilling, or whenever I was, you know, getting ready to go to bed or multitasking, or I was doing something as far as editing or ideating where I could have something playing in the background, I've been watching the reviews for Horizon Forbidden West. And for the general consensus, a lot of them shared the same kind of sentiment that I did, where, you know, over time there were some things that bothered me, but overall, it definitely is one of the highlights of the year and one of the highlights on the PlayStation 5. So now it's time to kind of pull it back and somewhat. Change things up, it, it, and I say somewhat because there's still some form of an RPG kind of mechanic kind of going going on with this now new game that I'm, I started out. But I did meant for foreshadow this on last week's episode that I was gonna start this up Triangle Strategy on the Nintendo Switch, uh, at least for now. Because if Octopath Traveler started off on Nintendo Switch and then moved on over to PC and Xbox, I would say yeah, this is this has the potential to be in that same vein, considering that it's kind of a spiritual successor to Octopath Travel. It's not exactly the same, but it kind of has some shared DNA, if you will. And if you guys haven't heard about Triangle Strategy, I feel like you might have heard it by name, but maybe you haven't seen too much gameplay of it, or really known what the game is about, or what the critical reception has been. Basically, it's an isometric uh, tactical strategy RPG, in which you control a set of characters amongst this environment, this world that's, like I said, isometric, but it is a turn-based strategy game where it's kind of like an elaborate game of chess every time that you play into combat and you move about your players, your, your characters, amongst the board uh, in terms of squ- squares and certain characters can move a set amount of spaces and some can do more than others. And then of course every time you, you move, you're able to then you know create actions whether you want to attack surrounding enemies or you want to use items or cast spells depending on which character you just moved, whether they're an offensive sword type character or they're some kind of pyromancer or a magician or tactician, etc etc. you know you have your plethora of different archetypes and characters. But it is meant to be a strategy game, you know, in the vein of Final Fantasy Tactics or, you know, other kind of tactical or strategy games that you've played in the past, harkening uh, back all the way to the Genesis and the other, you know, games of that era. And so it's got this really beautiful aesthetic, but very simplistic and very um, nuanced, where the majority of the environments and the characters are pixelized, except they have some kind of, like shading or art design that like the characters for sure are pixelized, but the environments just have a kind of like this painted kind of look, but they're also rendered in a 3d landscape that moves in an isometric way where, like I said, the camera's kind of top down and askew, and you can move the camera with the right stick or, you know, centralize it and then zoom in with the uh, different uh, triggers on the pro controller or on the controller for the switch. And yeah, it still kind of gives off this feeling like, even though you're in this world, you're also like, it also gives this feeling, especially with the depth of field, which you could switch on and off, but I kept it on because I love this shit. I love the depth of field giving, you know, this cinematic look to the overall aesthetic of the game, but at the same time, it also makes you feel, kind of playing in terms with the tactical strategy aspect of the game, makes it really really does feel like you're playing a board game, but a really good looking board game, as far as like, moving about the pieces, it makes you feel like you're this human kind of towering over this environment, like if it's a playboard, and then the characters are these little pieces that you're kind of moving about. That's how I'm I'm, I'm, I'm virtually approaching this game, by looking at it. Now, how am I faring off with the game? Mind you, I'm only about four hours in. Again, stuff has been kind of crazy with work, Uh, a, a lot of stuff, a lot of content is coming down the pipeline as far as the accounts that I'm tackling here, or at least the accounts I'm tackling for now, because to be honest, I'm actually on the verge of asking some of the higher-ups to be like, hey, can I just do one account instead of two, because it's, it's starting to get a little overwhelming, and because of that, I really, you know, haven't gamed, at like, over the weekend, I didn't play any video games, even though I did take my Vita, and I thought to myself, maybe I'll start this up, but to be honest, like I said, so many, so many things were either racing in my brain, or we were out and about doing our own thing, and keep in mind, I'm you know, with my girlfriend, you know, this is our time, that by the time that the day is ending, the night is ending, and I'm getting ready to go to bed, I only got about an hour left to go to bed, I'm like, do I really want to start up a game on the Vita right now? Not really. And before I knew it, it was Sunday night. <laughs> it was Sunday night, I was, and I was already heading home, and I'm like, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't play anything. I didn't play anything. I spent my time either watching the boys. Playing a game with my girlfriend as far as like something that's, you know, multiplayer on the Switch or editing or just checking on my partner application. That, that's all I did. So it wasn't until Sunday night, or, or rather Monday night, that after my work day was finished, gym was done, the usual stuff for my YouTube was done, that I finally was able to have time to myself, sit down, and start up Triangle Strategy. And so it's been a couple of nights, again, about four, four and a half hours in, and I would argue that maybe I'm still in the somewhat prelude area of the game, even though I've officially started Chapter 3. But, yeah. Um, I probably should have waited for a sale. <laughs> oh, man. Now, that's not to say that it's a bad game, because it most definitely is not. It was It's just so far not what I'm expecting. Because here's the thing. I started talking about, notice that I started talking about the gameplay. And that's because the gameplay in and of itself really is good as far as strategizing and figuring out where to put characters in which spaces, especially as you acquire more characters into your team, into your roster, knowing all their strengths and weaknesses, going through all the different weapons that they have at their disposal. And then as you pro- progress in the game, progress in the story, a lot of other features are going to get unlocked, such as the smithy where you can level up weapons or level up uh, certain characteristics of your character, attack, defense, what have you. And I'm like, I'm looking at the menu like, yes, this is where I'm going to be spending my time, but also ever so often going back to my merchant on my encounter, section and uh, asking him or her for, uh, you know, more potions, buying out more potions, more resources, etc. Again, I'm still in the preliminary uh, hours of the game, but I-, I can already see the potential for me to kind of get lost within this gameplay loop of like, okay, I just beat this optional uh, battle. I got all this experience to be able to level up my characters and increase their potential, but also all these other resources and money to be able to increase the efficiency of their weapons and, and their gear. Yeah, that's def- that's the angle of the game that's definitely looking like the shit. And again, the aesthetic, the actual look of the game is very, very comfy. From the way that the text pops up on screen when characters talk to each other, to, again, the overall design and art style I'm just in love with. I, I was in love with it ever since they unveiled the game, where I was like, yes, this looks major pretty. And and overall, it's still... All this these aspects are doing a great deal of sucking me in... It's, especially when the ratio of gameplay versus story is definitely off kilter right now <laughs> if a lot of reviewers out there myself included were talking about how how much dialogue and cutscenes there were in Horizon Forbidden West right now i know it's only 4 hours it's only been 4 hours i'm definitely going to be playing some more tonight but right now at the time of this recording Triangle strategy is kind of worse. (laughs) Thank God. I can tell you guys right now. Thank God. Oh, my God. This would have been a completely different story right now. Completely different story right now. If there was no outer scroll or autoplay button. And what I'm talking about is that the game was self... It almost became kind of self-aware... That there's just so much dense lore and dialogue within these characters, back and forth, back and forth, that the game does have a button on the trigger, I believe. It's the right trigger, that if you press it, the dialogue will automatically just keep on going like a traditional cutscene, because by default, you have to press the A button after each line of dialogue. Kind of like a Pokemon game. Like when a Pokemon, game, like when you play Pokemon and you have characters talk and you have the bubble, press A. The bubble. Press A. Thankfully, oh my God! Triangle strategy has an auto play button where you you just press that once. You'll see a little triangle, a play triangle or play icon uh, show up at the bottom right of the screen. And when that's on, the bubbles are gonna go automatically. You'll hear the characters' lines of dialogue, but as soon as they're done talking, that bubble will then disappear and move on to the next one. And I'll, the whole thing will just auto play like a regular cutscene. Thank God for that because. There's a lot of talking in the game so far, and I understand that it's th- there to set up the lore, and th- that's the thing, is that I'm not, you know, completely unbeknownst to the lore, like, I actually do know what's going on here as far as the characters, it's just that we, I have yet to find my footing as far as actually resonating with the characters and the story like it's interesting to know about the salt iron war and to know what these factions are trying to do trying to settle for peace trying to get these uh, the dignitaries to be on accord but i definitely know that we can't have a story without somebody planning some shit in the background and the the proverbial shoe is about to drop and that's where we're gonna get our conflict but uh, these characters are boring so far because <laughs> they're, cause they're all, all feel kind of the same, especially the main character, Sarah Noah. He, uh, you know, again, he's not terrible, but he's just kind of there. there all the char- all the characters are almost kind of there. And they're all archetypes. There's a couple of uh, characters here and there that do stand out to me that I look at, and I go, okay, you're kind of cool, like Benedict, who is undoubtedly. I haven't looked at the credits, but every time he talks, I'm like, that's Bigsby, isn't it? That's Bigsby from Wolf Among Us, ain't it? Because <laughs> I can, that's all I hear. And I'm very confident that it's, it's the same actor. I just have yet to look it up, but I'm pretty confident that it is. And um, there's a couple of other characters that do get a laugh out of me as far as like their nature. There's one character, I can't remember his name, Erador, Elador, or something like that, who's always loud, but he's always hearty. You know, he's like the the. The the, the the traditional, you know, big guy who's all about strength and, ah, you know, like th- that kind of guy. Uh, but then you have your other characters that are very snarky and pompous, etc. But no one stands out as... Uh, like a different from the other, you know what I mean? Like th- they're all on the same, same waveform, especially our two main people who are betrothed to each other. And I'm, um, I have yet to find any real reason to kind of care about them. And it's kind of like, okay, you know, whatever's dude. I, I not, but at least I don't hate them. I don't, you know, feel any kind of ire towards them. Uh, anything like that. Thankfully that has not happened. But so far, the game's weakness is definitely having a very strong hook as far as the story is concerned. The lore is there. now we just need to get to that again proverbial shooter drop for that inciting incident to finally get things moving and to get our characters to get some some uh, conviction as the game constantly keeps bringing up this mechanic about choosing your convictions and strengthening your convictions depending on the choices that you make. Uh, which is where the RPG elements kind of come into play, aside from the customization options. But I have yet to find something that makes me go, oh my god, who should I choose? You know, nothing that reminds me of the likes of, like, Mass Effect or Skyrim or anything like that, where I had to make some really difficult choices. Again, only four hours. It's only been four hours. I know that this is a game intended to be played for, like, 30 or 40 Uh, I've yet to see if there's any real sense of free roam or fast travel because so far the game is a little bit more linear in style because after each chapter or after each story event, you then go to the map, but there's no other really room to go to. Like, the next point is the next main event to progress the story, so I'm like, okay, what's the point of cutting back to this? I might as well just keep going with the story. Uh, There's only been a couple of breaks here and there, a couple of forks where... It cuts back to the map, and you could do the main event, or there's this side event, but the side events are just more cutscenes. Again, more dialogue, more talking, not not real any battles. It's been four hours, and I can honestly tell you guys right now, I think there's only been three battles I've been in. And the battles themselves, again, are very compelling as far as gameplay, and they definitely don't hold your hand. I mean, there are... uh, plenty of tutorials and they don't feel cumbersome they feel very intuitive and very informative like i actually know what i'm supposed to do thankfully uh so it's not like you're going in blind but at the same time i'm playing on normal and normal does it's no slouch it's not difficult it doesn't feel like there's any kind of spike it feels balanced still but it's also nothing to scoff at like there's been a couple uh, out of those three battles two of them i had like a good chunk of my party die, and I'm like, all right, okay, so you're you're not, you're not, you're know you not pussyfooting around here, that's cool, that's cool, at least you're making me think, you're actively making me think about, the, the gameplay here, and that's where it's, strong suits are at, outside of that however, like I said, I'm waiting for that hook, I'm waiting for that story hook, and I'm hoping that it happens, on tonight's playstation, because, if we reach the 10 hour mark, and we, I still haven't found a reason, to really care about these characters, I'm going to be using that skip button, a lot more frequently, from here on now, but so far, I'm still going to be sticking with Triangle Strategy, but I'll be lying if I haven't haven't already been thinking about what game I'm going to play afterwards. And that's kind of a red flag. But such is the case when you buy Games Day 1, right? It's that gamble that you need to follow through with. More updates on Triangle Strategy next week. And to end this week's podcast episode, a uh, string of news. Because frankly, I have three very significant pieces of news here that I found very interesting, but none of them really have like this huge. ...thing that I need to really talk about. They're not huge drops. There's nothing much more that we could really talk about or extrapolate because they're kind of just there. You know what I'm saying? Like, they kind of speak for themselves. Let's talk about the more obvious one. The one that we kind of already been knowing for quite some time ever since Bloomberg talked about it. And it's also the delay that I mentioned earlier when I was talking about Hogwarts Legacy... Suicide Squad Killed the Justice League has officially been delayed to now a much more firmer window of Spring 2023. And this is being confirmed by the director himself, the creator director, Sefton Hill. Sefton Hill is actually the creative director over there at Rocksteady. He was also behind the Arkham games, the three uh, staple Arkham games, not counting Arkham Origins, even though... Little by little, I'm starting to think that Arkham Origins really was the underdog of the entire series, wasn't it? (laughs) Remaster it! I would really love for a remaster on Arkham Origins, especially if it would come into PC, because then I can play it on the Steam Deck. Hey, look at that. But, anyways, Hill himself tweeted to confirm what has already been heard, like I said, that Bloomberg report, and this is a quote from him on his Twitter account. We've made the difficult decision to delay Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League to Spring 2023. I know a delay is frustrating, but that time is going into making the best game we can. I look forward to bringing the chaos to Metropolis together. Thanks for your patience. Again, a lot of stuff that we kind of already knew about as far as the game. You know, they, they showed that little snippet of gameplay at the DC Fandom event. Uh, we saw some more in-game assets. We didn't really see like a CG trail like we did that first time. But... Considering how quiet things were and how they kept saying 2022, even on that gameplay, well, as soon as they showed gameplay and then they still have not confirmed the window, they just kept saying 2022, I'm like, eh, that means that they don't know themselves and it might get pushed. And then when that Bloomberg started reporting it, saying, hey, word behind the scenes is that they're pushing it. I'm like, yeah, it's going to happen. They just need to confirm it. And Sefton finally did the de- He did the deed. So... Kill the Justice League has been killed for 2022, looking forward to it in spring 2023, and to be honest, hey, I feel like this gives an opportunity for the DC games to breathe, because we still got Gotham Knights on October 25th this year, and now both games can kind of, like I said, breathe and really be soaked in by the respective audiences, because I'm pretty sure that the people who are planning on playing Gotham Knights are going to be playing Kill the Justice League, because it's, you know, WB, it's Batman related, it's not, yeah, okay, obviously the Gotham Knights game is not going to be centered on the Arkham universe, but Kill the Justice League is, so, w- again, we don't want to start feeling that Bat fatigue. You know, we just had the Batman come out in movie theaters. I don't know how much more stuff there's going to be Batman-related for the remainder of the year outside of Gotham Knights, but I know that we also got McFarlane toys pumping out more stuff, and so, w- again, we don't want to feel too fatigued about this kind of um uh, particular property, so, because of that, I'm like, yeah, uh, it's, it's good to see that this is getting pushed, so that way we have a much more quality game, but at the same time, us DC fans, us Batman fans, we can actually take all this stuff in without feeling like it's just too much, you know what I'm saying, so, both games can breathe easily, and I can at least now know that I got some more time to spend with Gotham Knights, when that eventually does roll a- a- around. Moving on to the next story, in the wake of... CD Projekt Red, bringing us the next-gen version of Cyberpunk, they also confirmed that a new Witcher game is in development, and we'll be using the Unreal Engine 5, The you know, the brand spanking new Unreal Engine, the one with the triangles, <laughs> the one with the crazy triangles, and, you know, all these elaborate little details and whatnot, so... As it's mentioned here via the IGN article, CD Projekt Red has confirmed the new Witcher game is in development and that it's going to be using Unreal Engine 5. While not much has been revealed about this upcoming game, the announcement did confirm that this new game will be, quote, Again, you know, and this is the IGN article quoting then the CD Projekt Red release, kicking off a new saga for the franchise and a new technology partnership with Epic Games. No development time frame or release date was given either, thank God, but CD Projekt Red did share a teaser image uh, that features a medallion and the phrase, a new saga begins. CD Projekt did state, however, that we're not planning on making the game exclusive to one storefront, despite working together with Epic. And there's a little bit more about what Unreal Engine Five does, and what the original uh, saga, the original Witcher trilogy, was done, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I'm not really gonna go too much more into the IGN article. I just know that please, CD Project Red, for the love of fucking God, I'm taking my time here. I'm sorry. There's no, nothing's wrong with your podcast. I'm just, I, you know, I'm trying to internalize here what I'm really trying to say. Make sure it's ready. You know, you're absolutely in no position or placement or footing to just pump out a game, to say, oh, yeah, new Witcher game is coming. Now, considering that it, the tagline here on this image, which shows a medallion covered in snow, underneath it, it says New Saga Begins, which implies that this is going to have nothing to do with Gerald. Uh, Gerald. And what exactly those circumstances are, I don't know, because the Witcher games, I've played two. I did play two. I, I do know for a fact I played two, and I enjoyed it. I have not played three. I have not played three, and I have not played one. I will very, very, very likely never play one, because almost everyone that I've heard talk about one or, or whether they played it when it first came out, or whether they played it after playing two. All of them unanimously are like, yeah, it, it does it did not age well <laughs> as far as gameplay and visual graphics and whatnot. There, there's such a distinction between Witcher one and two that it's like, nah, d- d- don't do it. If you're gonna, if you're gonna start playing the Witcher games, you just have to, you know, really wrestle with two and three, and maybe Thronebreaker, the 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 spinoff, and maybe the Gwent spinoff. But otherwise, just just do two and three. You have plenty of content there. So I've played two, I have on Xbox, but I have not played three. I will definitely will be playing three, but speaking of CD Projekt Red dropping that next gen update for the Cyber- Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven earlier this year, they did have a roadmap that of that apparently entailed that we're gonna be getting a next gen update for Witcher three towards the end of this year, holiday or fall sometime this year, and I think to myself that would probably be the best time to load up Witcher three if it is in fact gonna be my first play- playthrough. I have enough games to keep me busy until then, and then therefore my first experience with Witcher 3 will be that akin to playing it on PC, with the ray tracing and the added effects, lighting, etc. So I would say, yeah, I'm going to hold off on Witcher 3. But it's good to see that even if I haven't played Witcher 3, the next game is going to be a different take. Now, it's very difficult to not then draw comparisons to another franchise that decided to go a different direction from its initial trilogy. Mass Effect. <laughs> Mass Effect Andromeda. Please don't let this be a Mass Effect Andromeda. I mean, Cyberpunk 2077 was already your Mass Effect Andromeda, with glitches and bugs and, uh, you know, just huge, devoid of polish all around, That for a game that clearly wasn't ready. CD Projekt Red. The only thing I have left to say is make the fuck sure that this new Witcher game is ready. If they're announcing it now, please, I do not want to hear anything about this game or see anything about this game until at the earliest, 2024, maybe even fucking 2025. Please. Judging by the levels of you guys, how you guys operate, yeah, you know, you guys cannot afford, you literally cannot afford to fuck up the way that you did with Cyberpunk. You're, you really can't. I'm sorry, but you really, really cannot. And it's cool to see that you're going to be utilizing a new engine. Hopefully this, like I said, creates a genuine next-gen experience that's going to be built from the ground up and will be exclusive to next-gen. Hopefully by then when the game releases in either 24, 25, maybe even 26. Think about it, maybe 2026. I would say, hey, at least by then I'm praying to God that PS5s and Series Xs will be much more... uh, you know, achievable to to purchase because if they really are going to be doing this on Unreal Engine 5, I think that's their subtle way of confirming that this is going to be a PS5, PC, and Series X exclusive. No Xbox One or PS4 cross-release cross, comp- uh, uh, cross release or, you know, multiple-gen release. Don't, don't do that. It's what should have been done with Cyberpunk. You guys didn't do that, and you paid the price for it. Make sure that you don't do the same thing with this new Witcher game. And again, I I, I'm looking forward to it being disconnected from the original trilogy, but at the same time, don't flound. You know, this also could create some concerns as far as the source material, because then what kind of uh, books are they going to necessarily be adapting into this new game? You know, there's different avenues for different things about the world to explore. And I'm um, looking at the image, I definitely picked up on the little detail that the medallion that's kind of encased in snow here looks an awful different than the one that Gerald usually wears. So I think that's also another little... Uh, A little hidden, I don't want to say hidden, but another little subtle detail inside of this teaser image that cements that they're going in a different direction. Let's make sure that you prosper in that direction direction, and you don't repeat the same mistakes that you did with Cyberpunk or Mass Effect Andromeda, for that matter. Anyways, moving right along to our last story, again, another story that I really don't have much to really say on is that PlayStation is making another move in acquiring Jade Raymond's Haven Entertainment Studios. They bought another studio called Haven Studios. This is now officially the 18th studio to join the PlayStation family. And this is IGN's article saying, Sony Interactive Entertainment has announced that it has entered an agreement to acquire Haven Studios, the company founded by Jade Raymond that will become the 18th studio. Raymond who was also the founder of Ubisoft Toronto and Motive Studios and one of the key figures behind Assassin's Creed so okay there's a little bit of a experience there began Haven Studios in 2021 so it's relatively new with an investment from SIE when Haven Studios was announced Raymond shared that the team was looking to create worlds where players can escape, have fun, express themselves and find community Furthermore, it was confirmed the project the team was working on would be a new IP that would be exclusive to PlayStation. This, these news just further cements their partnership. This new game, and I'm skipping a little ahead here, is a new... Oh, God. This is a quote directly from Raymond. This new game is a new live service experience for PlayStation built upon a systemic and evolving world focused on delivering freedom, thrill, and playfulness. Raymond also previously revealed the game will feature social elements and user-generated content. Well, my hype just died down because I was about to say that if PlayStation bought them out, they might be interested in what they're looking at, but at the same time, they did mention that whole life service thing that they were trying to explore more things about life service. And it's looking like one of those additions is in the form of Haven Studios. It's a brand new company with... Someone at the helm that does have experience in the industry with the Assassin's Creed games, but look how the Assassin's Creed games got. And now he's making a live service game? Yeah, never mind. (laughs) Here I was getting kind of hopeful that, okay, maybe we have like a brand new IP, a brand new single player franchise, oh, no, live service, okay. Well, has Elden Ring not taught us anything that single player games are definitely, most definitely not dead And sure, there is the multiplayer component of being able to invade other people's games or bring on summons and help out people with certain bosses, etc. But it's not a live service game. And now here we are with PlayStation doubling down with 60 employees over at Haven Studios. Well, if they can at least take their time with it and not give us a PlayStation-exclusive Avengers-style experience, (laughs) like with Square Enix's Marvel's Avengers, then fine. But automatic I I gotta be honest you can call it prejudice but seeing the term live service in there immediately kind of killed it for me (laughs) so you know my best wishes over to the people at Haven Studios but you can kind of count me out for this one with that said gonna go ahead and conclude this week's podcast episode because this was a mouthful. I know that we didn't really get too many stories or stuff, but I know that we definitely had a monumentous one there at the beginning or at least a couple in the form of my uh, milestone of hitting partnership on YouTube as well as discussing the Hogwarts state of play. Two big things that I wanted to make sure that I got in full force on this week's podcast and get it out into the airwaves. And I'm glad that I did. And I thank you guys for listening in on this week's episode. If you guys want to stay in touch, again, feel free to follow me on social media platforms that you can find in the description below or simply just at me at twitter and instagram at dark spider david also check out the website darkspiderdavid.com check out the niche spider-man and batman channel now partnered link could be found in the description or simply whenever you're on youtube next search up dark spider david you're going to find two channels one of them just says dark spider david and then the other one says dark spider david miscellaneous be sure to check out the one that does not have the miscellaneous even though even though you could technically take out check out both um, the one that's a bit more current and more funneled down and more consistent with uploads is going to be the niche one. So be sure to check those out. Otherwise guys, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. See you guys next week. And until next time, stay humble.